So, Rolling Stone magazine has decided that a significant number of the greatest songs are just not great anymore. Now I've got a little problem with this, and I'm not the only one. A quick internet search brings up dozens of critical tweets, blogs, and articles on why this is so flawed. According to the article posted in the online Rolling Stone, this original list was made back in 2004. And now, and get this, this is exactly what they said. Because the iPod was pretty new and Billy Eilish was only three years old, the list needed a total reboot. What? What, because Billy Eilish was only three years old? That's the reason that the greatest songs are not great anymore? What the fuck? How did, much did Billie Eilish's PR people pay Rolling Stone magazine for that little bit of publicity? Now, I'm not a Luddite living in a cave somewhere. I mean, I've heard the name Billie Eilish, but truth be told, I couldn't tell you what she sings or recognize any of her songs, but she must be pretty fucking important in the world of music to push Bob Dylan off the top of the list. So I don't really even know where to start on this bullshit. First of all, Eilish came in at 178, so I guess she should have paid Rolling Stone a little bit more under the table. Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan has been the number one song since 2004. The Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, was number two. And now, Aretha Franklin's Respect, number one. And Public Enemy, Fight the Power, give me a fucking break, number two. Now, I have tons of respect for Aretha. Uber talented, indeed, one of the greatest vocalists of all time, but not the number one greatest song. Now, I, I can't even comment on number two. Public Enemy, really? Come on, I mean, look at the rest of the top 10. Outkast, Missy Elliott, Nirvana. No Zeppelin in the top 50. The best the Rolling Stones could do now is number 13, Gimme Shelter. Clearly, the people that Rolling Stone chose to make this list are in politically correct heaven. This is not the list of 500 greatest rock and roll songs because it contains country shit, pop shit, rap shit, and just plain old shit. If they were looking for a global music list, that's fine say that and include jazz and classical and all the other categories of music out there. You know, you can tell a lot about this list by the people they chose to select these songs. I have lost so much respect for Rolling Stone magazine. They really fucked this one up. And for no good reason. Every year now, they seem to put out a list of the 500 most popular songs according to some randomly selected group of people. Now, intelligent people can differ on what makes a song great. But at the end of the day, the, the very personal and very highly subjective selection of 400-odd people in the music industry is a pretty fucking weak process to select the greatest of all time. I mean, come on. Putting Britney Spears, Kelly Clarkson, Outkast, and Snoop Dogg in the same bucket with The Beatles, The Stones, Zeppelin, and Pink Floyd is just wrong, wrong, wrong. Stairway to Heaven is great, but so is Beethoven's Fifth. And Ray Charles, what I say? They're all great but in different ways. It's like taking a football player, a hockey player, a basketball and baseball player, and having them all compete in a billion tournament to find out who the greatest pool player ever was. Come on, Rolling Stone, get your fucking shit together. Hi, welcome to the pub. Glad you could spend a few minutes here. So. Today, I want to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Uh, this one has been a popular topic here in the pub, too. Music. Now, some of you may have already heard my recent rant on the Rolling Stones magazine revision of the 500 Greatest Songs list, and I don't want to rehash that now, but I would like to continue on in a similar vein. 
You know, a few days ago, I was thinking more about this greatest song drama, and I tried something that I've been wanting to do for a while. So here's what you do. Using your favorite music streaming service, and I had really good luck with Spotify, enter the name of one of your favorite all-time songs, and it has to be a relatively older one, and then search for that song and watch as all the artists that have covered that song over the years begin to pop up. Now, when I did this, I was fucking blown away. Now, I have to believe that, that I have what is very legitimately a contender for greatest song. I searched for House of the Rising Sun. Now, of, of course, most of us know and recognize the version that Eric Burden and the Animals made famous back in 1964, but the well is so much deeper on this. Uh, first, a little background on this amazing song. The House of the Rising Sun is a traditional folk song. Sometimes it's called Rising Sun Blues. And it tells the story of a person's life gone wrong in the city of New Orleans. Uh, there are many versions that also urge a sibling or parents and children to avoid that same fate. Now, as a traditional folk song that was recorded by an electric rock band, it has been described as the very first folk rock hit. This song was first collected in Appalachia back in the 1930s, but it probably has its roots way earlier in, in a traditional English folk song. Now, like most folk songs, the original author of House of the Rising Sun is not really known. It has some resemblance to a really old English folk song from the 1500s, a ballad called The, the Unfortunate Rake. But of course, there's no evidence to support that. You know, but here in the pub, you know, evidence of this kind is not really needed. You know, if it feels right, it might be right. Here in the U.S., the House of the Rising Sun was said to have been known by American miners as far back as 1905, with the oldest published version of the lyrics found in 1925. The oldest known recording of this song, under the title Rising Sun Blues, by an Appalachian artist named uh, Tom Ashley, uh, he recorded that back in 1933. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit. There, there is a common misperception that, that prior to the Animals version, the song was about and from the perspective of a woman. Now, this is incorrect, as the narrative of the lyrics has alternated between male and female narratives. The earliest known printed version is about a woman's warning. The earliest known recording of the song is about a rounder or a male character. Now, this song was popular way before Eric Burden and the Animals, though. In 1941, Woody Guthrie recorded a version. And then the great blues artist Lead Belly, he recorded two versions of the song in 44 and again in 48, one called The New Orleans and the other one called House of the Rising Sun. Joan Baez recorded this back in 1960 on her self-titled debut album, and she frequently performed this song in concert throughout her career. In late 61, you can find House of the Rising Sun on Bob Dylan's debut album. That was back in March of 62. The Chambers Brothers recorded a version of their own back in 1970. Now, the Animals began singing this song during a joint concert tour with Chuck Berry. Uh, they use it as their closing number. So where exactly in New Orleans is this infamous house of ill repute? There are various places in New Orleans that have been proposed as the inspiration for the song, uh, with none meeting even that very low bar of evidence that we use here in the pub. Everyone assumes that the phrase, House of the Rising Sun, is a euphemism for a brothel, but that's just talk. One theory is that the song is about a woman who killed her father, an alcoholic gambler who had beaten his wife. Therefore, the House of the Rising Sun may be a jailhouse. Because women often sang the song, another theory is that the House of the Rising Sun was a place where prostitutes were detained while being treated for syphilis. Now, since cures with mercury were absolutely ineffective back then, going back to New Orleans as the last stanza of the song suggests, pretty unlikely. 
Now, not everyone believes that the house actually existed. Uh, Pamela Arsenault, a research librarian down in New Orleans at the Williams Research Center, she's quoted as saying, I have made a study of the history of prostitution in New Orleans and have often confronted the perennial question, where is the house of the rising sun, without finding any satisfactory answers. Although it is generally assumed that the singer is referring to a brothel, there is actually nothing in the lyrics that indicates that the house is a brothel. Many knowledgeable persons have conjectured that a better case can be made for either a gambling hall or a prison. However, to paraphrase Floyd, sometimes lyrics are just lyrics. Way to go, Sigmund Freud. So when I searched for House of the Rising Sun on Spotify, believe it or not, I found more than 200 versions of this song. I now have a playlist with more than 13 hours of the same damn song. You know, but it's not really the same song. The huge variety of artists and genres recording this song is just mind-blowing. Here's just a sampling of what I found. There are absolutely awesome classic rock versions by The Animals, Bachman Turner Overdrive, The Spencer Davis Group, and The Ventures. Of course, Jerry Garcia and his uh, folk rock buddy David Grissom, uh, they recorded a version, which is one of my favorites. Uh, icons Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, and older folk heroes Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, they sing a more traditional acoustic folk style. There are blues versions from Lead Belly, Joe Bonamassa, and Roxy Perry opens her cover with some really cool harmonica work. There are pop ed- music editions uh, that exist from the Everly Brothers, the Supremes, the Temptations. I found a number of R&B and jazzy renditions. There are a few recordings that were used in TV shows like Westworld and Sons of Anarchy. Of course, Psychedelic Rock, uh, Frig- Frigid Pink's version is, is classic. And I found a Cambodian psychedelic rock group, which I didn't even know Cambodian psychedelic rock was a thing. Uh, for sure, there are country versions. Dolly Parton, Conway Twitty, Hank Williams Jr., Waylon Jennings, and a great country rock version by David Allen Coe. Uh, you'll easily find some really ass-kicking heavy metal takes by Five Finger Death Punch, Crocus, Muse, and Leo. There are instrumentals on piano, harp. Henry Mancini does a version. Shit, even the London fucking Symphony Orchestra has a version. There are several a cappella versions, and yes, I even found a shitty disco take. And lastly, there are even a few children's musicians that have recorded this iconic song. Each and every one is unique and different. The lyrics are simple, but tell a compelling and possibly complex story beneath the surface. There's plenty of opportunity for instrumental solos, from soulful saxophones to raging guitar riffs. You can make it as long or short as you want. It really is the Swiss Army knife of songs. So given that it has been covered by just about every musical genre for almost 75 years, is one of the most recognizable tunes and you find yourself humming it hours after having heard it, how can this song not be the greatest song of all time? Well, the greatest song needs a great whiskey. Let me see what the pub has to offer here on this. Hey, I'll be right back.